0: Let's all stand together then. Ephesians chapter 3 this morning. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14. Uh, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, May God bless your reading of His word today is my prayer. You may be seated. We're not going to be able to consider all of these passages this morning, but I wanted to read them to you because they are all a part of a prayer by the Apostle Paul. Now, if you're a believer in Christ this morning, you have been abundantly blessed by the grace of God. And you are the recipients of what Paul calls then the unsearchable riches of Christ. But it's one thing to possess those riches. It is another thing to appropriate them and actually put them to work. It is possible for a person to live the life of a pauper, though they have abundant resources financially in the bank. It's possible for a person to die, of a disease while the medicine that would cure them sits unused in a medicine cabinet. You see, having those things is not the same as appropriating them and actually using them. If you are a believer in Christ, you have been abundantly blessed by God's grace. And as Paul describes this dispensation of grace for us, he does remind us of these unsearchable riches of Christ. But they're not going to do us a lot of good as believers unless, first of all, we know what they are. And then secondly, we know how to use them. And that's the basis of Paul's prayer today as he is praying for us after he has talked to us about these unsearchable riches of God's grace in Christ Jesus, as he has talked to us about this dispensation of grace, now he's praying, praying that we would know these things, experience them for ourselves, have the power of God to put them in practice. Uh, I looked at an article that was written years ago back in the 50s by Dr. Victor Frankel. I don't know anything much about him except that he wrote this article called The Doctor and the Soul. He described Sunday as the saddest day of the week. Saddest day of the week. That's what he said. Uh, as a mostly non-religious person. You see, he saw the 1950s world in both Europe and America as a Sunday downtime when there really wasn't anything to do except just kind of sit around and reflect on uh, the fact that you've just finished up one week and now there's really nothing to do on Sunday but sit here and just get ready for Monday and think about the pointlessness of it all. Sunday was a sad day of the week. And and I can understand that from back in the 50s in a way. I mean, if you weren't a church-going person, not a believer in Christ, then there really wasn't a lot to do. Uh, Back in those days, both in Europe and America, there was what was known as the blue laws. And that prohibited the sale of all kinds of things on Sunday. Stores were closed. Uh, You couldn't buy alcohol on Sunday. Still, I think that's true in our state. Uh, Most stores were closed, most malls. I found as I was researching uh, blue laws this week, interestingly, in the the city of Fort Smith passed a law as among their blue laws that you couldn't operate any kind of dance hall or have any place of dancing open on Sunday. Although they said that as far as they know, nobody had ever been charged for dancing on Sunday, but there was an investigation of one church downtown, I think. uh, Uh, I, I, I'm just kidding. That, that part was not true. But the, 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 the prohibition of dancing on Sunday, I think, uh, was still there in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Blue Law. So, you know, there wasn't a lot to do on Sunday, and they did have a lot of downtime. And if you weren't a church-going person, then, you know, you couldn't buy alcohol, couldn't go to a party, couldn't dance, couldn't. Sunday was a sad day. I'm glad to be able to say today, Sunday has never been a sad day for me. And it's certainly not a down day. The only time it even comes close to being a sad day is when it's a snow day. I hate snow days on Sunday. I hate them. I'm not sure you're supposed to hate anything, but I hate snow days on Sunday. Um, The world, though, has seen Sunday as a time to be kind of filled up, just downtime, And, oh, my, they have done an incredible job over that over the last 50 years of filling up Sundays, blue laws, of course, gone away, and now so, so many things are competing for our attention on Sundays as God's people. We have to make some difficult choices. Sunday is a day when we gather together to commemorate and celebrate all that Jesus has done for us. And though I may not preach on the unsearchable riches of Christ every Sunday, though I may not preach on how blessed we are by the abundant grace of God that has been poured out upon us in Jesus Christ, I may not be preaching about these incredible blessings that we have, but listen, every time we gather together in worship, we gather to celebrate those blessings and our riches in Christ Jesus. We commemorate and celebrate and display what God has done in our life every single Sunday of the world. Our text today begins with that expression, for this reason or for this cause. And the whole section in Ephesians chapter 3 uh, began with that same expression. And what he's talking about, for this cause, for this reason, is this grace of God. And you see that in verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you. What we have in Christ, this abundant grace, this dispensation of grace, is obviously a major driving emphasis of the life of this great man of God, the Apostle Paul. It compelled him to speak this truth. It compelled him to share this truth with others. And though he was a prisoner when he was writing this in Rome, neither his message nor his ministry was in chains. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains but the word of God is not chained. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You see, we can be very thankful this morning among many other things that we do not serve God or present the gospel to others under the threat of prison or even of much persecution because of our faith. But it is possible For you and I sometimes to run up against situations where it may not be possible for us to effectively share the gospel. You may have somebody that you love that for all intents and purposes, they're shut down completely to the gospel. You try to talk to them about church or try to talk to them about the Bible and they're going to change the subject. You'll see their face just shut down. And if you persist in trying to do that, they're liable to get up and walk away. I mean, you long to be able to share the gospel with them, but they're just shut down. Their heart's closed. I want you to know this morning, the Word of God can't be chained. The gospel of Jesus Christ cannot be bound. Uh, what What I mean by that is that if you have shared the gospel with this person, the gospel is powerful. You continue to pray for them. Don't think that just because uh, you may not be able to do all the things that you'd want to do in the life of that person that somehow then you're prohibited from being able to minister to them. The word of God is not chain. God, uh, The devil can't make a chain big enough to hold back the gospel of Jesus Christ. He can't do it. And we also see in this passage another great thing. Paul was in prison, but his prayer life was not. And the prayers that he prayed reach across all these many centuries because they are still blessing and impacting and touching the lives of God's people today. He was in prison, but the Word of God wasn't bound and his prayer life wasn't bound As Paul begins to pray then, and he says to Timothy, and I I love this expression, he said, therefore endure all things for the sake of the elect, that's God's people, that they might obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You see, Paul didn't just pray that uh, people would be saved. He wants us to be gloriously saved, gloriously saved. Uh, Not just to to obtain salvation, but to obtain salvation with eternal glory. That's what he's praying for. Though the world often ridicules the power of prayer, and even God's people may be guilty from time to time of saying, you know, I need to do something. Don't, don't feel like you're doing nothing when you're praying. Praying is one of the most effective things that we can do. And so when Paul begins his passage telling us in verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner being. He is doing something, then, he says, that's going to affect the whole family of God. God has called the whole company of believers in Christ, whether in heaven, listen, I have no way of knowing how many Christians there are on this world today. But there's a lot more believers in heaven today than there are on this earth. A whole, whole host of God's people have already gone unto glory. So Paul speaks of them, the whole family, whether they're in heaven or whether they're on earth. And it does us some good just every now and then to remind ourselves that our loved ones who have gone on to be with the Lord really are with the Lord. And that's exactly what this passage tells us. So the whole family, whether in heaven or on earth, they are all called the children of God. John chapter 1 and verse 12, but as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become the children of God even to those who believe on his name, who were born not of blood nor the will of the flesh nor the will of man, but of God. You see, when we're born again, we are born of God. And when we are born of God, we become a child of God. And God makes every believer a part of his forever family in Christ. It's not just about me. It's not just about you. It's about this great host of God's family. The world is not very fond of prayer these days, and they say a lot of negative things about privilege as well. I want you to know when we're born into God's forever family, it is a family of incredible wealth. Remember, we're talking about the unsearchable riches of Christ. I've told you before, and I want to tell you again, when God is talking about the unsearchable riches in Christ, this is not something you can deposit in your bank. It's not something that you can use to buy a car or a house. Thank God it's not something the IRS can find and put a tax on. This is not physical riches, but spiritual riches, our eternal riches and glory. These incredible promises that God has given to us are backed by the bank of heaven. And you don't have to worry about them ever coming back stamped insufficient funds because God's never going to run out of grace, never run out of the ability to answer these prayers or keep his promises, the unsearchable riches of Christ. So when Paul brings into his mind God's forever family, the whole family in heaven and upon the earth, and when Paul begins then to pray for God's forever family, what does he pray? I'm going to notice three things today. First of all, he prays for God's power to be evident in us that he would grant you, verse 16, according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Now Paul drew a distinction between the outward man and the inner man and he does this very plainly in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 15 where he said for all things are for your sake that the abundant grace, there's that grace again might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God for which cause we faint not for there are outward man perish yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Now the outward man refers to our physical bodies. The inner or inward man refers to our spirit. And Paul again draws attention to that same incredible grace of God that enables us to understand that though our bodies may be deteriorating, though our bodies may get weaker, though our bodies may be struck with some terrible debilitating illness, though we might see our strength and prowess physically begin to decline. And that does happen. But While that is happening, something else is happening. The inward man is being renewed day day. day by day. This outward body you see is subject to decay and to decline but our spiritual side of us the inner man is actually getting stronger and stronger and stronger day by day. Paul says it's because of this that we don't lose heart or we don't faint and we know what it means to feel faint Uh, When we're out of strength, when we're run down, when uh, we feel like we're about to give out, or or maybe even it's an emotional faintness, when we want to give up, and you say, I just can't keep doing this. A lot of times, even as believers, we feel that way, and sometimes it's because we're trying to do what we do in the power of our physical strength. The world puts all kinds of emphasis today on, on physical strength, and it's very popular uh, to talk about uh, working out and physical fitness, and, and that's perfectly fine. Uh, the Bible says bodily exercise profits a little. That is, it profits some. Uh, why? Because it lets you keep serving, lets you keep going. There, there is a, a place for bodily exercise and physical fitness. But he said, Godliness is profitable in all things, having promise for the life that now is and the life that is to come. The inner man being strengthened and renewed every single day. I wonder if we ask ourselves this morning, uh, am am I physically fit? Am I in good shape physically? That's a good question. I don't feel like I'm in as good a shape as I need to be in or would like to be in. It gets more and more challenging as we get older. But the real issue is how strong is our spiritual man? Is our inner man getting stronger? And so Paul is praying for our inner man to be given strength. Even when we may be facing incredible opposition, still the inner man's strength will keep us going and keep us growing. So he prayed for power and strength in the inner man. Then secondly, he prays for our personal relationship with Christ, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Now, when he talks about dwelling, he's he's not just talking about visiting. In this passage, it refers to making a home or to be at home in our hearts by faith. When we're a guest in somebody else's home, it's not uncommon for us to hear them say, make yourself at home. You ever heard that? You ever said that to somebody else? We don't really mean it. There's, there's drawers over there full of stuff. That's It's not my stuff. I don't need to be in there. There's a closet over there. It's not my closet. I, I don't need to go in there. There's a room back here with the door closed. I don't want you going in there because that's where we put all the stuff before you came. <laughs> uh, you know, y'all live that way too, don't you? I, some of you don't. That's okay. Um, <clears> okay. <throat> No matter how many times we tell somebody to make themselves at home, and we know that that's, that's really, really not. We know, it, it's, not it's, it's not my bed, it's not my closet, it's not my clo- it's not my dog in the yard. It, uh, it's, it, this is just, it's not my home. It's not my home. I'm just a guest. Um, you see, a part of the unsearchable riches of Christ is that Christ lives in us from the moment that we're believers. Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life and in mine. And in this passage, Paul then is not praying that the Holy Spirit would would take up residence in us. If we're already believers in Christ, He's already there. What He wants is for Christ to be at home there. That is for our heart to be His home, to belong to Him so that He has access to all of us. After all, he did buy it all, did he not? When he saved us, does the Bible not say you're bought with a price? And what a price he paid. Is Jesus treated like a guest in our life? Are there areas that we treat as off-limits? Are there places in our hearts that we'd rather Jesus didn't visit or mess with? Is there a room where we've stashed all the stuff that we don't want Him to see in our hearts? Is there parts of our hearts that we don't want Him to have anything to do with? The great Greek scholar commented on this expression of Paul when he prayed that Jesus would dwell, be at home, take up home, settle the inn to our heart, A.T. Robertson said, this is the ideal. But a great deal of fixing would have to be done for Christ to be at home in our hearts. A great deal of fixing. Amen. So, Paul prays for the power of God to work in us. But he also prays that we'd have a, a deep, personal, real relationship with Christ as He doesn't just live in our hearts by faith, but He is at home in our life by faith. last thing He prays for then is our perception of the boundless or limitless love of Christ Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul, first of all, talks about the plant kingdom. He wants us to be rooted in love. If a plant is growing, going to grow to its potential and bear fruit as God intended, it has to develop a good root system. Uh, All around our county, you can still see the remnants of large trees that fell down back in in the spring. Uh, When the storms came through, after months and months and months of relentless rain, the ground was saturated, and many, many of those trees, though they had a great root system, they went down. You know that. But any plant, in order to be fruitful, any plant, in order to grow, it has to be rooted. It has to develop that root system. The bigger it is, the the deeper the roots have to go into the ground. So he talked about being rooted, but he also talked about being grounded. In the love of Christ. And that term is from the building industry. And and we know that. Uh, uh, When they start out to build a house, what do they do? Just go out there and start throwing it up? No. If you're gonna build a house or any other structure, the first thing you gotta do is what? You gotta dig in the ground. The higher up you're gonna go, the deeper you gotta go in the ground. You're gonna build a really big house then it has to be grounded. It has to be in order for it to be able to stand. But that a lot, a lot of that has to do with the quality of the ground. That big tree, huge tree with a huge root system, yet if the ground is unstable, if it is mushy and marshy, you know it still may not stand. And the same is true of a building. You can build in a lot of places where maybe the ground isn't really suitable and And you have to go way, way, way deeper because the ground isn't solid. Well, let me tell you something. When Paul prayed for us to be rooted and grounded in the love of Christ, listen to me, folk. The love of Jesus Christ is solid. It is stable. And what that means is as we are rooted and grounded in love then uh, that God can build a great structure of us. God can grow us into a, a mighty plant that is fruitful, that is healthy and growing vibrant, that can has the strength then to hold up uh, to all of that fruit that is a house big enough. And he goes on with that house idea because he describes it by that uh, 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 expression width and length and depth. There's the depth that has to be going down deep, uh, but also the height. And so obviously he's talking about a structure that's being built. And it can be a big place because it's gone down deep in the love of Jesus Christ. And therefore God can build us up How big? Well, Paul says that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That is, that God can make us as big as He wants to make us. (laughs) Uh, Maybe not literally, when you're talking about how that we're going to be built up in the love of Jesus Christ. God can make us a, a great person, a great structure for His glory. Have you noticed that no matter how large your shop is, it's not big enough? Anybody anybody notice that, guys? No matter how big your house is, you can start packing it in with kids and stuff and it doesn't seem near big enough. Four or five days out of the year, especially Christmas and a few other times, your house seems way, way too small. We've got to have a bigger place. God must forever expand our hearts because the love of Christ is incomprehensible, incomprehensible. We cannot comprehend, apprehend. We'll never be able to stretch our arms out big enough to get around the love of Christ. No matter how big we perceive it, no matter how much glory we might ascribe to God, there's more, more to come. And I'll have to stop there because next week we're going to be talking about how uh, that God can do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. There's more available no matter how God may grow us, no matter how God may build us up, there's more available. And this isn't something for just a few, but notice Paul is praying for all the saints For the whole family in heaven and in earth. It's not just about you or me, but about us all. How does this relate to all of us today? Well, it's it's a really good time for us to ask ourselves the question um, How strong is my inner man? We give a lot of attention to working out, pumping iron, staying healthy. We give a lot of attention to the outer man. But no matter what we do to the outer man, it is perishing. And there's going to come a time, and it may be sooner than either any of us think, there will come a time when the outward man is going to let you down a time when maybe we're trying to to live for God in the power of our own strength, and that always lets us down. We fight sin and temptation every day, and by we, I mean we fight sin and temptation every day. Every time I lose, I lose in the power of me. Every time I win, I win in the power of God. We need strength in the inner man So that when the outer man fails, when the outer man lets us down, when the outer man goes down in decline and weakness, the inner man kicks in and keeps us going. How strong is our inner man? It's a good time then for us to think about that personal relationship with Christ I know if I'm because I'm saved that Christ lives in me. But is he at home? Is my heart his? His home. All of it. And lastly, am I rooted and grounded in the love of Christ? So that God can build me up and fill me up with all of his fullness. Again, I I think about A.T. Robertson's words. This is the ideal. I understand that. Do any of us ever really live up to it? I don't think so, not in this life. But it is an ideal that Paul prays for because no matter where we are, no matter how deeply we might have dug down into the love of Christ, the love of Christ is deeper still. No matter how high we might ascend into the love of Christ, the love of Christ is higher still. No matter how widely we might approach the love of Christ and think, you know, I've I've stretched out a lot further than I thought I would ever go, and yet still, still, there's more to come. God can make more of us and use us in greater ways than we'd ever imagined. But we need His strength. We need Him to be at home in our life. And we need to be rooted and grounded in His love.